Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host Zoe Blasky. This week I am talking to the incredible Chloe Brotheridge. I'm sure you know her. She has been on the podcast before, right at the start. I think she was like episode she is a hypnotherapist, coach, and author of two best-selling books, one called The Anxiety Solution and one called Brave New Girl. Chloe and I have become friendly over the years. We've known her about three or four years now, and I just love her energy of calm, which just exudes through the podcast, I'm sure you'll agree, and wisdom. And the thing that I really took from sitting down to chat with Chloe, which was just as we were going into lockdown, so I think it was the week or maybe two weeks before lockdown we had this chat. The thing that I really take from this conversation is just the power, and I know we talk about it week in, week out on the podcast, but just the power of working on ourselves, you know, and reframing our experiences. Chloe talks about how she went from highly anxious to feeling calm a lot of the time. Also, she talks about imposter syndrome and confidence and how really with some kind of relatively simple tools, we can totally change the experience of ourselves and our lives. She also talks about her recent experiences with plant medicine, which isn't something that we've talked about in the podcast before. So I was really excited to dive into that with Chloe and understand, you know, what was she looking for and did she find it which we discussed right at the end and you are going to be blown away by what Chloe discovered through taking ayahuasca and how it's changed her experience and the way that she views her family now she talks about it very honestly so I hope you're going to really enjoy this episode I'm pretty sure you will if you do please as always rate review and share here it is Chloe welcome to the podcast Thank you for having me. I am so thrilled that you're here again because I've only had one other guest on twice, who's Emma Cannon, and you're number two. That's so nice. I have to thank you because my podcast was like baby, baby, tiny, tiny, and you, to me, had this amazing platform and message, and you said yes in my early days, so thank you. I remember you coming round to my house and we had such a nice conversation, so it's amazing to see how... You've expanded and grown your... Well, what's funny is you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe the amount of prep that I did for that. Like, I read probably everything you've ever written. Oh, I had, like, <laughs> 10 pages of notes. And I think there's something interesting in, like, today... I mean, I've read your books anyway because I love your work, but I just have, like, five bullet points in front of me. And I think that's a sign of confidence, isn't mm-hmm. it? And we're going to be talking about confidence a lot and how it's a learned skill, which is what your book Brave New Girl talks about. Do you still have anxiety today or would you say you're cured of your anxiety? Yeah, I don't think anxiety is something you can be cured of because it's a normal human emotion. We're all going to feel from time to time nervous, fearful, worried. That's a normal thing as a human being. 
I don't feel that I have an anxiety disorder like I used to where I would be having panic attacks or worrying about things compulsively. But there are definitely times when I get afraid and worry and nervous. 100% I get nervous. I think my relationship to it has changed. I can recognise that nervous feeling as, oh, I'm going outside of my comfort zone. I'm expanding. I'm doing something new. Not the way I used to see it, which I think was this is a nightmare that I need to avoid and need to run away from. So I think trying to change my relationship with it has helped or it might be a sign if I'm noticing feeling overwhelmed or something that I need to look after myself more, I need to take a step back or I'm on the wrong path somehow or I'm not in integrity with myself in some way. Because you talk about anxiety being a messenger. Can you explain what you mean by that? I often find that people say to me that their anxiety seems to come out of nowhere and they don't know where it comes from. But always when we get into the conversation about it, there is a reason that we feel anxious. It's not come out of nowhere. Your body is very intelligent and it's trying to send you a message that something's not quite right. So maybe you need to change something in your life. Maybe you're in the wrong job or wrong relationship. Perhaps it's something from the past that hasn't been healed, that's coming up to be healed. Perhaps you need to slow down or look at how you're taking care of yourself. And I know this might be your story as well. I used to drink a lot of alcohol, stay very busy, not really deal with stuff, just keep it all inside and just hope that I would feel better one day. And that didn't come until I realised that actually this anxiety is here for a reason. I need to excavate what's below the surface to get to the root of it and I found when I started to listen to that I could find a way to help myself by listening. Was there a moment that you remember or was that quite an insidious awakening I guess of like actually I can't just keep stuffing these feelings down like I do have to take that really brave step of looking within was there a moment or did something happen or was it like a gradual Yeah, I would say there are probably a few moments. I think one important thing that happened was that I was really sabotaging my relationship. So it's the same man I've been in a relationship with for 10 years. We're still together. But in the first couple of years, it was very volatile to do with me not feeling good enough and pushing him away and testing him and how can you love me when I'm so awful and of course that came out in not being kind to him and not being kind to myself and I think realizing that actually I was going to mess up this relationship I was like actually I need to sort myself out otherwise I'm going to like ruin the best thing in my life and he is someone that has always been very perceptive about people's feelings and encouraging talking about feelings which I had never really done before and so that was really helpful I needed a man to help me to a man that was patient enough and kind of open enough about feelings to help me to open up and has that continued through your 10 years together I know you posted didn't you about your 10 years recently has that continued that sort of peeling away being triggered by him you triggering him and working on it as a couple I would say that my relationship is the hardest thing in my life. A lot of other areas in my life are quite easy. That's the hardest thing. We trigger the hell out of each other. And he actually trained as a coach two years ago because he finally realised that he had quite a talent for it, having probably helped me a lot on my journey as well. And we have a lot of conversations about getting triggered and working through things. And 
we work on each other. He does hypnotherapy and I do hypnotherapy. So today, for example, he gave me a hypnotherapy session. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of that. But it's very fortunate when you're in a relationship that facilitates that kind of growth when you can be like, right, it's hard. But I think Eckhart Tolle says your partner is not supposed to make you happy. They're supposed to make you conscious. So... Not the thing that people want to hear, because we, we have this idea, I think, of the fairy tale marriage or relationship where things are just fun and sexy at all times. But actually, our partners can be that person to hold up the mirror for us and to show us about ourselves, I think. It's so true. Like, nothing and no one triggers me like Guy can. But it's, it's, you say, like, it's that choice, isn't it? Do I think, well, there's something wrong with him or me in this relationship, therefore it's not right? Or actually, is that an invitation to, to do the work on it? What would you say to someone, because I get asked this a lot, someone who is doing a lot of work, like if they're listening to this podcast, chances are they're interested in self-development and inner work. And often I get asked about someone who has a partner who's totally not there. What would your advice be around that? I hear that a lot, actually, from friends, actually, who that maybe the female in the partnership mm. is into retreats and yoga and the guy is just not on that path. I think we sometimes expect our partner to be everything for us. And, well, very often we expect our partner to be everything for us. And maybe you can be on different paths in terms of personal development or spirituality or many different things, but there's enough there that connects you. There's enough there that is beneficial and helpful that it makes it worth it if you just think you are on completely different paths you know you're drifting apart that's a different thing but you know maybe you have your female friends that are your workshop friends and your partners for something else but it's such a tricky one I think everyone's going to be different as well and we can only really tune into ourselves and know what's right for us by listening to that voice inside ourselves that I think ultimately knows if if it's the right thing or mm. not quite right. Talking of that voice inside ourselves, this is something that you talk about a lot and I love your wisdom around intuition and critic and fear. And I'm wondering, how do we know whether that voice is fear? Like you described in your first early years of your relationship, I imagine you had a bit of a narrative which was like, get out, get out, get out. Mm. But there was clearly a part of your gut that knew, no, this is good for my healing. How do you decipher between those two? I probably wasn't in touch with that at that time, I think. It was definitely buried very deep. This is a question that I think a lot of people struggle with, and I definitely did, I think, you know, because fear can shout very loudly, and it's very hard to distinguish whether that fear is telling the truth or not. You know, this is the ultimate <laughs> issue, I think, with anxiety, that we believe our fears, we believe the worst ideas that we have. But there's a saying that intuition whispers and fear shouts. So if it's a shouty voice, it's probably more likely to be fear. Intuition is a small, quiet voice, a calmer voice that we're more likely to tune into in quieter moments, I think. Mm. You know, when we're in nature or after exercising or in meditation or something like that, rather than when we're in that frantic. And that's the challenge with modern life, isn't it? Is that so many people that I know and talk to and see out there just never get a chance or don't choose to slow down enough to hear that voice what helps you hear that voice I do transcendental meditation twice a day for 20 minutes I know that's not feasible for a lot of people because of the time investment but I do like 
the idea of actually meditation gives you more time because when you're in a calmer, more intuitive space, then you make better decisions, you're more able to be in flow when you're working, things are just easier. So for me, I think that's worth the investment in time. But I think it doesn't need to be necessarily a lot of time spent. It could just be taking a few deep breaths. It could be doing something that helps you to come back to your body, grounding yourself, feeling your feet on the floor, noticing what you can see and smell and hear around you just to get you into your body rather than spiraling into your head. I'm a big fan of shaking as well. I don't know if you've ever done that. I think we had an exchange. We were talking about this because I really want to do it. TRE. TRE, trauma release exercises, where it looks kind of weird. You do these leg exercises to fatigue the leg muscles and then you lie on the floor with your legs bent and your body starts to shake. And it's, it's Does like, it just do it? Yes, it does. But it's almost like, you know, when you're doing a squat and your legs shake, it's kind of like that, but obviously you're lying on the floor. And the fact that you've fatigued your leg muscles is what, facilitates that starting to happen but the idea is that we store a lot of trauma and stress and tension in our bodies and we don't release it whereas animals in the wild if you ever watch even dogs if they hear a loud noise they shake their bodies afterwards they'll shake it off whereas we as human beings just hold on to that stuff and it is a way of really releasing that tension in the body is this a recent practice for you i first tried it several years ago and i have a friend of mine who has gone through like a traumatic event recently and I was like right we're going to go to those workshops together and we went to a couple of the TRE things so I've re-remembered how powerful it is but it could be that you just take yourself off to the loos and shake or you put some music on and, and shake around the room and dance and shake for five minutes at home we don't need to necessarily go to a class to do that we can still get rid of some of that tension I think it's incredibly powerful like oh, I was seeing when I had my miscarriages between my two daughters a somatic therapist and I couldn't get in touch with the grief and it was so amazing she said it can come out through your voice and she had me like almost like making these different tones with my voice and I could feel the grief coming up mm. it was incredible that was yeah it was such a powerful experience and that's how I felt and processed a lot of that grief that came up Mm. because my conscious brain couldn't get to it it was cellular I think so much of anxiety we think of it as this mental issue but actually the symptoms are very physical and I think they can have a physical manifestation and that we hold on to I mean it's often said that the body is a subconscious mind so we're holding on to these subconscious programs in our bodies you know things from when we're children that we need to release well, we don't need to, but it's helpful if we if we do. We can choose to. Yeah. God, it's so interesting, isn't it? You're right, because anxiety is like people talk about sweaty palms and, you know, their stomach tensing up and heart beating faster. Mm. And it's very mm. physical, isn't it? Yeah, I think people don't realise that. If you've never experienced it, you might think, oh, just stop worrying, snap out of it. But it's this physical thing that can really take over the nervous systems just on high alert. And it can seem as though you couldn't just think a calm thought and calm yourself down that this is like overriding it's so interesting you talked about before we got onto this track about comfort zones and that's something that I wanted to ask you about because I love in your latest book Brave New Girl where you talk about comfort zone and then stretch zone and panic zone and the anxiety linked into that and how you can use that to create a bigger life for yourself can you talk to that 
So I am someone that has avoided a lot of things for a long time when I was feeling very anxious. I had a lot of social anxiety and panic attacks and I would say no to opportunities to do things or I wouldn't want to go and meet new people. I just can't imagine that of you yeah, having known yeah. you now, you know. Yeah, I was very blocked, very, very blocked with a lot of things and... Oh, I would drink a lot of alcohol to go and socialise. Oh, same. <laughs> that didn't work so well. But the problem is that when we avoid situations and when we keep ourselves really small and stay in our comfort zone, for some people that might be even be like not leaving the house or to that extent, it seems like more of a big deal to then go out in the world. We think we're keeping ourselves safe, but actually we're just affirming to ourselves that anything outside of that comfort zone is not safe. So... In order to overcome this, and it's talked about a lot in exposure therapy, that we actually have to take very small steps at first out of our comfort zone into the stretch zone. So something that feels like a bit of a stretch, but it's not going to make you really panic or really freak out. Something that feels a little bit of a stretch. So for me, it might have been going to meet one person for a coffee or something. That might have been enough to make me feel kind of anxious, but not so much that I would be thinking about it for weeks in advance and feeling nervous. And once I got used to that, the more I did it, the more I realised, actually, this is okay. It's not so bad and I don't die. I think part of it is just showing your body you don't die. Because when we're in fight or flight, in real fear, the nervous system thinks we're going to die unless we run away or we fight off this threat. That is what is happening so we need to show ourselves oh I can go for a coffee and not die and your nervous system recalibrates and then thinking about what's the next step what's something else going meeting two people going and speaking in front of 10 people then 30 people and doing it in a step-by-step way to retrain your nervous system and then your comfort zone expands and what's possible for you expands and the world doesn't seem like such a scary place. Look at you now, like, talking in front of hundreds of people yeah. on stages. And no. you've just done that incrementally. Because I think what I love about you and your work and the book is that you talk about confidence as a skill. Because I think so many people have the belief that you're either confident or you're not. And that's not mm. accurate, is it? Yeah, because I was really surprised when I was researching the book. I was curious about people that appear really confident on the outside. And then actually when you ask them or when they talk about it they say actually no I was really nervous at that point so Adele the singer gets so nervous that she sometimes throws up Michelle Obama has imposter syndrome there are times when she doesn't feel good enough Mel Robbins who's an inspirational speaker she did a TED talk that was watched by millions of people and she said she was having a panic attack throughout the whole TED talk and she doesn't look like she is but I believe her when she said she was So what we often see as confidence or perceive as confidence is actually people being brave, people being courageous. Their heart may be racing, they're feeling nervous, but they're giving it a try and they're doing it. And so I think we can hold ourselves back by thinking, I'm not confident enough to do that. Actually, can we be brave enough just to give it a try? And our confidence will grow as we do it and we realise that we don't die. And it's like that growth mindset thing, isn't it? You know, for so long I thought, no, I'll wait until I feel confident enough or good enough to do that thing and then I'll do it. But it doesn't work that way. It's like I teach myself that I can do it by doing it, but it takes mm. such amount of courage, doesn't it? I mean, Brené Brown says you can have comfort or courage. Mm. Can't have both. What's in your stretch zone at the moment? So I've been 
This has been on there for a while. I haven't been on live TV before, but I think that would be something that would be... Right, anyone's listening that wants to invite Chloe. (laughs) I'm open. I'm open to it. I Mm. think you'd be amazing. Oh, thanks. I'm just waiting for the call. (laughs) Waiting for the call. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, I think it can sometimes depend on the day as well. I think it's really normal for our confidence to change at different times of the month for women, for example. Like, before my period, I'm not as confident. And I've learned just to recognise that and just be kind to myself about that and know that we're not machines, we're not one day just fixed and then we're never going to struggle with anything again. It's like we're changing all the time. And so, yeah, I think being compassionate to ourselves about that fact. Yeah, I had Maisie Hill who wrote Period Power. And like tracking my cycle and my mood has been a game changer. Do you do it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I recommend my clients do it because I think when it comes to anxiety, it makes a massive difference for lots of people. And if we're not aware of that, then it can seem surprising. You know, if we're aware, at least we can take some steps. So maybe not having presentations on day 22 of your cycle, for example, or, you know, taking a day off on another day to look after yourself more if that's available to you. It has been a game changer. I'm always like excited for Jessie. She's only four, but for when she gets over here, because I'm like going to be there teaching her with the app, with Maisie's book. Yeah. Because I never got any of that knowledge. Like it was like, you know, sort of a tampon or very different, wasn't it, than the conversation now. And I feel quite excited about that for the next generations of women that really it is powerful to tune into where we're at in the month. Mm. And how will that change her experience of... Will PMS be such a thing? I wonder if people have this kind of education from early age. I hope women in the future can have a different experience. Here's hoping. Yeah. And you mentioned Michelle Obama has imposter syndrome and feeling not enough. And I just wondered, because you talk about this in the book, how do you define imposter syndrome? And why is it so prevalent? And is it really women that have it more than men? Three questions in one. Good question. (laughs) So imposter syndrome is a term that actually people weren't using that much up until a couple of years ago, really. It's that sense that we are a fraud, that we're going to get found out at any moment, that we've been blagging it this whole time. The only reason I've got any friends is because of this. The only reason I got a 2-1 at university is because of this. I don't really deserve any of it. And soon people are going to find out and they're going to reject me. So it's feeling like you're a fraud. And The studies into this vary from 60% of women to 80% of women, and it seems to be slightly less men, but then there's always the thing of a man just not admitting it, so we don't necessarily know. But it's pretty much a universal thing. I work with a lot of people who are very successful in their careers, and all of them will talk about moments of imposter syndrome. doesn't matter what they've achieved or how intelligent they are. There can always be times in their lives or situations that will test their confidence. I I like to reframe imposter syndrome as it's a good sign that you're doing something new, that you're moving outside of your comfort zone, that you're expanding. And actually, someone said to me once, if you're not experiencing imposter syndrome, are you keeping yourself too small? You know, actually, is it a good sign that we're growing? And that's the discomfort that comes from doing something new or doing something different. What is the difference, do you think, between that I'm not enough belief and that growth mindset, which is I feel uncomfortable because I'm growing? Because I think there's quite a big difference between those two. Yeah, good question. Is it self-compassion? Is that the difference? 
I don't know. Mm. I don't know. But I just think having a belief, which is where the perfectionism comes from, that you talk about mm. a lot as well, mm. that mm. I'm not enough as I am. Yeah. Which kind of is imposter syndrome in some way, is quite different to what you were just saying, that reframe that I really liked mm. about mm. actually mm. that feeling of, God, can I really do this? Like that stretching feeling. Yeah, I wonder how much we can try and reframe it as much as possible in that way. You know, if we can have compassion for ourselves, if we're struggling with something, then it's because we're learning something, we're healing something. You know, if we've made a mistake, it's because we're human and we can learn from that. You know, we can try to turn these things around as much as possible. I know it's so easy to say, and when you're in it, it feels horrendous and can be difficult to do that. But I think another one is you feel nervous but actually is that feeling excitement. I think we can reframe lots of these. And then there are other times where maybe we can't reframe them. Maybe things really are shit and we're, we've been dealt a really bad card in life or, I don't know, we're, we're not pr- so privileged and we're struggling we're on the wrong end of society's privilege. And actually maybe it is just shit and we do need to have compassion for ourselves in that situation and know that it's not, not all our fault. And one thing that's come up for me now thinking about this is, how much we need community and how much we need each other. And there is a message in society that we should just sort ourselves out and we should fix ourselves or, you know, just think positively, but actually we need each other. And that is somewhat lacking in our culture. And that's a massive shame. And I don't know if I have an answer for that. And it's such a good point as well around whitewashing with positive thinking, which is really different, isn't it, to actually feeling the feelings Mm. because sometimes clients will come to me and they've read all the books but they'll be using almost like their knowledge of self-development and affirmations to beat themselves up they'll be like plastering it over what's really going on do you see that yes yes that's articulating what I was trying to get to and that slightly rambling point all these positive memes on Instagram I think they're all a bit two years ago the positive really positive memes I think it is changing But there is something to be said about going into the darkness, going into the the pain and the fear. And I've been doing quite a lot of shamanic work recently, and this is a very shamanic idea to really go into the darkness and bring it up and bring it up to the light and look at it and notice that it actually dissolves in the light when you really look at it. And it's not real anyway, but to allow yourself to cry, to be angry. This has been a massive lesson for me to be okay with being angry because if we just suppress that anger guess what it doesn't really do anyone any favors and it seeps out of us or it comes out another way there's some theory that depression is anger turned inwards Mm, yeah yeah i can see that Mm. i can see that or anxiety is the tension that comes from trying to hold it all in so for me doing things like emotional release like screaming into a pillow or punching or pounding on my mattress or something like that and not not trying to think positively but actually I'm angry about this how am I going to process this emotion feel it and let it kind of move through rather than keeping it it's such a good point because I didn't get taught how to feel feelings growing up so when I would feel anger and still now actually I tend to think there's something wrong like I have this thing that like negative emotion equals something's wrong whereas actually there's nothing wrong because I'm human like I'm going to have anger and sadness and frustration and as well as all the positive stuff right it's a rainbow isn't it and you talk about the feeling that's wheel 
Can you yes. can you say what that is and how it interplays with what we're talking about? Yeah, so I learned about the feelings well from Susan David, who wrote a book called Emotional Agility. And I suppose it's about resilience, that book. But very often, we're not good at knowing what we're feeling. We label our feelings in simplistic terms, like, actually, most people say that they're busy when you ask them how they are. <laughs> or okay. Or okay, or not bad. Don't, don't even know what not bad means, but... Or we say we're stressed, or we say we're anxious, but actually there are many, many other emotions that can be going on that we're not acknowledging. And if we don't acknowledge it, we're not equipped to know how to cope with that and deal with it. So you can Google the feelings wheel and you will find the colourful feelings wheel that basically lists all the different emotions that we can have. It's very helpful, I've got to say. And with children, like with Jessie, I've started now to say, okay, what feeling is that? Where is it in your body? Yes, yeah, definitely. And I suppose one practice that we can try to incorporate is just to ask ourselves, what are we really feeling? And can we try and find two more specific emotion words to describe that, to describe what we're feeling instead of something like stress or anxiety? Because there might be disappointment, there might be loneliness, there might be overwhelm, there might be uncertainty. And actually, if we know, if I know I'm feeling disappointed, which I have felt recently, and it's been interesting to feel that because I haven't felt that for a while, then I have more resources and more scope for knowing how to deal with that and to feel that. So talking to someone about that specifically or being very kind to myself about the other emotions I might be feeling like a failure or rejection or whatever it is. If we know how we're feeling, we're more able to deal with it. And also when they scan people's brains, when they're labelling their emotions, it calms down the amygdala. So it actually has a calming effect to know exactly what it is that we're feeling. Yeah, it's a mindfulness technique, isn't it, called name it to tame it, Mm. which is exactly what we describe, because then you engage the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that, as you say, calms the amygdala, the emotional centre. It's so interesting and so great to do with children. Yeah. What else? Because I know, you know, you don't work specifically with children, but you have so much knowledge around anxiety and big feelings. What can we be doing when our children are in those like really big feelings Mm. or saying that they're anxious if they're like getting older or teenagers? So, so it might be about tools for relaxing. It might be about learning about body scans or doing certain visualizations with them. I know that not all children are going to be up for that but some might be so that it might be about that it might be about you know grounding exercises you know taking them out into nature asking them what they can hear what they can smell can they taste anything what can they feel on their bodies you know helping them to connect with their bodies more because you know we're not very good at connecting with our bodies we're better at thinking and being busy in our heads but actually being with our feelings and feeling our feelings and anything that can connect people with their bodies I think is really helpful but I just think being able to speak about things and encouraging them to look at the feelings wheel and notice how they're feeling and put a label on it that's just such a good skill to take forward into adulthood that so many of us didn't have growing up to have that emotional literacy and emotional understanding yeah it would be such a gift wouldn't it imagine going in through those teenage years being able to understand your own emotions that would have made a massive difference Mm. to me I think Mm. and I just wanted to ask you you mentioned you've been working with 
a shaman. Mm. Can you talk a bit more about that? It's not something we've actually talked about on the podcast too much is plant medicines and shamanic healing. And I would love to get your view on why you did it, what you were looking for and your experience of it. First off, just to say that it's really important to do your own research into this topic. Obviously, there are risks involved with plant medicines. It's not for everyone. And it's important to go and see someone that you have really researched and trust because unfortunately, there's a lot of people who don't have a lot of integrity who are taking advantage of people and not doing it in a right way. So please do your own research firstly. So I went to Peru to work with a shaman called Maestra Juanita, who's a woman in her 60s. He's been a shaman for 30 years. What is a shaman so. for people that don't know? It's actually a, a Western term to describe, I don't know, like a witch doctor, I suppose. But it's a Western term to describe people that are working with energy, working with plants, connecting with nature. When I'm talking about shamans, I'm thinking about particularly people in South America who've for thousands of years been connecting with nature and working with plants and, and healers of the tribe, essentially. So Maestra Juanita is this six-year-old woman. We went on a retreat in Peru drinking a plant medicine called ayahuasca, which is a hallucinogenic plant that is grown in the Amazon that people have been taking for thousands and thousands of years. And my intention, because I'm on a healing journey, absolutely, and I've been on a lot of retreats and done a lot of things. And I think I was just looking for something that would take it to a different level or just be a new dimension. And there's this myth, I would say, that plant medicine is like having 10 years of therapy in one night. You hear that it's a very, lot. Uh, it's very uh, appealing. And I was definitely drawn in by that prospect. And it can be very profound. And it has been very profound for me. It can show you things about yourself in the medicine. Sometimes seeing a side of yourself that might be not nice to see or getting an insight into where things come from. So I had a lot of insights about this kind of intergenerational, how things are passed on from parent to child. So the not good enough that is passed on, that I could see passed on from my great granny to my granny to my mum to me. And so you that, saw that? You, yeah, I wow. saw that. I, I thought a lot about my grandma and my great-grandma and felt their pain. And I felt like I could feel, you know, a lot of why things were the way they were. And I felt like I was able to give a lot of love to my granny and to my great-granny and to my mum, like almost seeing them as children and feeling like a lot of energy moving. So it's very wow. Do you feel different now? Yeah, yeah. I would say for me, it has made an impact like for my partner, for example, it's made a massive impact on him. He's completely changed. I never saw him cry before he drank medicine. He's really opened up his emotions a lot. It has made an impact for me, but it hasn't turned my life upside down. It's been, oh, that's really interesting things I can take with me to move forward. I know that there are people for whom it does feel like 10 years of therapy in one night. It wasn't like that for me, but it was extremely profound and helpful. But also scary it's in the jungle there are lots of bugs was that in your stretch zone or your panic zone in my stretch zone but at the edge of my stretch zone I have to say <laughs> nearly in panic yeah yeah and obviously taking a psychedelic is scary because you're going into the unknown and of course there are risks involved it's not recommended for everyone because although psychedelics are considered to be 
safe. They're not legal in this country. They are legal in Peru and South America. Maybe people should do their own research, but they decide that it's safe. But for me, it was a risk I felt like I could take and it didn't backfire. So that's a good thing. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's something that lots of people that I know have done it. And so I'm always just so curious to hear people's experiences. But I think, like you say, there's no right way and there's no one way is there to do any of this. Mm. And they say, friends that have done it said that you sort of get like a like a feeling that it's for you. Did you experience that? I had an experience of three different people mentioning it to me in the space of a week. Okay. Unprompted by me, but suddenly it was just everywhere and lots of people say... That's that what I've heard, is, that yeah. it's like almost like the breadcrumbs, like you're mm. being drawn to mm. that modality. Mm. Interesting, the same is happening for me about TRE. Interestingly, oh, a few people have messaged me on Instagram saying, have you seen TRE? I think you'd be really interested in it. And then someone this morning wrote a comment to me about TRE tagging maybe you in or someone else in. And so that's where I'm going to go next. Interesting. Well, yeah. Listen to those messages about where life is leading you. Well, it goes back to what we were saying, wasn't it, about listening to that intuition. It doesn't have to always be for me inside of me. It can be outside of me. Like mm-hmm. I can follow those breadcrumbs mm-hmm. inside and outside of me. I always ask the same question at the end of every podcast, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mums in the world what would it be and why I think it's about knowing that it's okay to make mistakes maybe a lot of people have said that but I think knowing that we don't need to be perfect knowing that it's okay to make mistakes that's what makes us human and yeah if they could internalize that as a gift I think that would be a nice thing (laughs) no one said that before I don't think actually Mm. it's beautiful Mm. thank you thank you So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.